Tonight we're going to study the book of Job. We start off right in the middle of a Bible. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up? If you don't, if you have it on your phone, go ahead and find uh, Job. Job is right in the middle of your Bible. You can get to the Psalms and back up a little bit to the book of Job. Let me say a word of prayer and uh, then we'll get started. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the time together. Thank you for your word that gives us life. Thank you for your word that gives us something to stand on, that is our guide and is our food. It is our healing. We pray that you would help us tonight as we spend the next few moments looking at this book in the Bible that has been so confusing over the years but can mean so much even tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's get started. If you have a note sheet, it, who did not? Anybody here did not get a note sheet and you would like to have one? Brother Steve Adams and Brother Randy are standing in the back ready to serve you uh, like bellhops. If you want them, nobody here? Okay. Let's get started then. <clears throat> Introduction. If you start with the book of Job, it's 42 chapters. Let's say you sit down this evening to read the book of Job, 42 chapters. It'll take you about an hour and a half to two hours. If you're a fast reader... An hour and a half. If you're a medium reader, if you stay focused, uh, my problem is, is staying focused. If you stay focused, you can get through it in about two hours. You read it and you're going to hear questions, question after question after question. In the book of Job, there are 330 questions. Questions. Because that's what tragedy does. It makes you ask questions. It's what loss does. It's what, it's what pain does. It's we, we, we naturally ask the question, why? That's what Job is doing. All of it. You start asking why. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen now? When you read it, the man named Job, and by the way, if you're not familiar, it's, it's Job and not Job. This is not a book about occupation. <laughs> Job. The man named Job, he sees the bottom drop out of his life. The absolute bottom. You know, since Nate died, I have uh, talked to so many of you, so many people around the country uh, who have, have experienced s such tragedy. This book right here is the book in the Bible that puts out of your mind the idea that the righteous don't suffer. Job takes that idea, puts it out of our minds. Something called the, the Deuteronomic Code, the Code of Deuteronomy, the Code of the Law said in the mind, and it makes sense to us, that if you do good, good things happen. If you do bad, bad things happen. If you make bad choices, you'll get bad results. If you make good choices, you get good results. And you read the book of Job, and that is not how it happened. This book helps us with that. This book overturns the apple cart of fairness. That's what this book does. We like, we like fairness. We like to get a square deal. We like to treat people fairly. If you have a couple of children, you try to love them the same. You want to be fair. There's a big push if you are a, a, a good-minded person to, to be fair. This book overturns the apple cart of fairness because you get about 
two chapters in, and you think about Job, that is not fair. Two things. Really one over, two things, one over the top of another. This book, uh, this book gives us God's sovereignty over human suffering. This book is so good for a hurting heart. This book gives us God's sovereignty over human suffering. This, this book does not, however, it does not answer the problem of suffering. And suffering is a problem. This book does not answer that problem. There are a lot of you sitting here that you have probably said, maybe you have heard that one day we will know why this book is not designed to tell us why. What does this book do then? This book teaches us to suffer in a manner that is pleasing to God. You want to know what Job is about? It's teaching me and you to suffer in a manner that is pleasing to God. This book reminds us that God will eventually vindicate the righteous, that God's justice, the, the arm of justice is long, the ark is high and reaches, but it finally lands. God will eventually vindicate the righteous. We understand that with heaven and hell as Christians, that God will eventually you know what else this book does? This book tells us that God does not reveal His purpose. God, you may never know why you walked through that, except to say that this book teaches us to suffer in a way that is pleasing to God. But God does not. He does not reveal he just doesn't reveal his purposes. Well, who's the author then? Let's go back and maybe get, pick up a couple of things. If you have the note sheet, I'm, I'm there at the author. Who is the author? We don't know. We don't know who wrote it. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Job. It's not signed. It's another one of the anonymous books. There is some speculation. It could have been uh, the young man mentioned in the book named Elihu. Elihu, E-L-I-H-U. Could be him, possibly. If it's dated... Early, it could be Moses. Some people have said Solomon, but the truth of the matter is we just don't know. And that brings us to the date. The date would, would inform who wrote it. The date of the book is probably, it's unknown, but probably very early on. It may be the very first book in the Bible written. Could be. It most likely was written around the, the time of the patriarchs. Let me tell you why. There are a couple of reasons why I say that. If you read the book of Job, um, if you read the book of Job, you're going to find out that the way wealth is measured is with animals and not coin. So it's very primitive. So wealth is measured with animals. You hear all the donkeys and the cattle he had. That's how wealth would be measured really early in history. When you read the book of Job, you find out there, there is no law of Moses. You never hear the Ten Commandments. You never hear ceremonial laws. You never hear any of that. There's no, not even a hint of being an Israelite or a Jew. There's no, speaking of, there's no reference to Israelites. Uh, all of the place names in the book of Job, all of them are ancient place names. 
when you read the book of Job, the most common name for God is El Shaddai. El Shaddai is the name, and that typically is used very early on in history. You get to the end of Job, the end of it, and we're going to kind of, we'll get to the end of it. When you get to the very end of Job, Job lived 140 years. 140 years. Now, remember the patriarchs, how they were living, um, remember how they were living before the flood, hundreds of years. To have someone live 140 years is, is around the time of the patriarchs, living longer than normal. Okay, so there is the intro, that's the author, uh, the date, which is really sort of unknown. Let's talk about the, the genre of the book. Where does it fit in the Bible? What, what kind of book is this? Well, one way to describe it, we said this is the time of poetry, so the poetry book, but really you might say uh, also is wisdom. There's several books in the wisdom poetry category. See if you can name them. So Job is one. Do you know the others? Proverbs and Psalms. Others? Ecclesiastes. And the PG book of the Bible, Song of Solomon. <laughs> Got to be married to read the book of Song of Solomon. <laughs> Lots of talking in Job. It's not dependent on lists. We don't have really, it's not dependent on principles. We're not dependent on laws. There's not even really a long storyline. We have something on the front end, something on the back end, and then we sit and just listen. Book of Job, uh, somebody uh, chopped it up like this. Somebody said that it's prologue, monologue, dialogue, epilogue. I think that's a good way to, to think of Job. So the prologue, for chapters 1 and 2. Then you've got the epilogue, chapter 42. Then you have the dialogue and monologue is everything else in between. From chapter 3 to chapter 37. Let me give you an outline. <clears throat> Uh, before we even sort of get into the book, I want to read just sections of the book of Job. I'd, I'd like to give an outline that I found. Warren Wearsby, this was online. You guys familiar with Warren Wearsby? He's a great expositor of another age. Did a good job, really. He was a preacher and a Bible scholar, and he did a good job. You can find his stuff online. I would recommend it to you. Bible commentaries, uh, very good to read if you want something to study. And he did a good job of, of, of outlining a book of the Bible like a preacher. And so I'll just give you some of these. You probably have them on your note sheet. The first one is chapters 1, 2, and 3. That's Job's distress. We open up with his, with his uh, prosperity, verses 1 and five through 5 of chapter 1. Then his adversity. We'll read that from verse 6 in chapter 1 all the way to chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, it's Job, him just talking, his own perplexity. And then you have uh, from chapter 4, to chapter 37 is Job's defense. It's where we meet his three friends. These are terrible friends. Do not be friends like this. Bildad is one name, Eliphaz, and Zophar. Three terrible friends. Then we have another young man show up at the very end. His name is Elihu. He says, I, I stayed quiet because all the old guys were talking. It's a good lesson. Let them talk. Once they're done, Elihu gets up and he makes his defense. And if you read it, there are a couple of rounds. 
goes like this. Eliphaz will speak, Job replies. And then Bildad speaks, Job replies. Zophar speaks, Job replies. Then there's another round of that right there. Then there's a third round, but Zophar's not in it. That's chapters 22 to 31. And then in chapter 32 to 37 is the young man Elihu. He talks for six chapters. And he talks about, talks about how terrible the friends are. And then he talks about how terrible Job is. And then he talks about how good God is. And when you read Job, what happens is you find yourself reading some of the things that the friends are saying that sound really good. Like I, I hear what Elihu says about God and it is good. But it's terribly wrongly applied. And there's a lesson in there somewhere. Because Job's defense is, hey, look, I haven't done anything to deserve this. And their accusation is, hey, you're terrible. You must have done something. That's the way they comforted their friend. You must have. You had to do something. You need to just confess. Then you get to chapter 38 uh, through 42. That would be considered, uh, considered Job's deliverance. His deliverance. I'll, get to, I'll read it in just a moment. Chapter 38 starts, and God humbles him. And then he, he, he asks these questions that cannot be answered. And then, uh, then Job acknowledges in chapter 42 that, that he had said too much. He didn't understand God. And then at the end, God honors Job. So... <clears throat> If I were going to preach it, you know, I like to preach through books of the Bible. I've been preaching through the book of Mark. We, here we are in uh, getting ready to start September, and Sunday I'll preach chapter 7. It's going to take us two years to get through the book of Mark. There will probably be 80 sermons in Mark. I'd like to just take the next section. Can you imagine trying to preach through the book of Job? Can you imagine sitting through it? How would you, how would you approach it? Well, I'll... I would take seven sections in the book of Job. And uh, that's what I want to do right now. I want to just take you through it. So if you have your Bible, join me. We're going to read large sections and then talk about the things that we can learn. Let me read some of it to you. I would start in the very beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1. You follow along. This is really, really something. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright. He feared God, turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons, three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep. See how wealth is described? 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. They would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it might be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day. Let's, let's pay attention here. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. 
And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered to the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. Blameless, upright man, he fears God, turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand, touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now pause right there. From this point forward, in verse 13 and following, there are four catastrophic events that happen in Job's life that bring him lower and lower. The first one is that when the sons and daughters are drinking and eating, we're being set up, something's going to happen to them. Verse 14, the donkeys were plowing and feeding and the Sabians fell upon them, took down the servants with the edge of the sword and a messenger said, I alone have escaped to tell you. Here's the second thing. While he was still speaking, when it rains, it pours. There came another and he said, the fire of God fell from heaven, burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you while that one was still speaking. Another said, the Chaldeans formed three groups. They made a raid on the camels. They took them, struck them down, the servants with them by the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you while that one was still speaking. Another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house. It fell upon the young people. They are all dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Job rose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the, the narrator tells us, In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with anything wrong. The story gets it's worse. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered, the same question, my servant Job, there is none like him on the earth, a blameless man, an upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast... His integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Satan answered the Lord and said to him, skin for skin. All that, a man, all that a man has, he will give for his life. If you've ever battled health, you, you know this. He still holds fast. Satan said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, He is in your hand. Spare his life. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with a loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself. 
while he sat in the ashes, his wife said to him, this is a, his wife is as good as his friends. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive, shall we receive good from God? Shall we not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with his mouth. Chapter 3, if you get to chapter 3, he starts to pour out this lament, Job does, before his friends start to talk. If you'll come down the page in your Bible, scroll down or turn the page to chapter 19. In chapter 19, in the midst of his anguish, when Job is, is at the bottom, he had already said he wished he had died. You have this, this ancient picture of resurrection and a shadowy pointing to Christ. Verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron... By the way, isn't it ironic he's saying that, and here we are thousands of years later reading it. They're in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. Now listen to this description. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, and in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, my eyes shall behold, and not another. Let me pause right there. Come down the page to chapter 28. We're going to come back and make some applications. I'm just pointing out passages and what I would preach if I were preaching it. Chapter 28, if you read it from there to verse, from verse 1 to verse 28, you have Job's description of wisdom. After hearing from his friends, he is in the throes of answering all of his friends. Chapter 38 is an amazing chapter. 38, 39, and 40. 41, chapter 38. <clears throat> chapter 38, the Lord shows up finally. Let me just read a little bit of you, of it. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, out of the hurricane. Category 6 hurricane. Here, here lately, the wind's been blowing a lot. It's been terrible thunderstorms in the afternoons. We've lost power at my house. Uh, they came through and cleared the lines, and since they've cleared the lines, we lose power more at my house. <laughs> and I was sitting on the porch the other night, and the wind was blowing so hard. Now, we've got this new little dog. I'll be telling you about that at some point. I've got a new little dog. And he's just barking at the wind. And I was thinking about this passage. What would it be like to have the Lord show up in a whirlwind, a hurricane, and ask the question, who is this that darkens good counsel by having words and no knowledge. And that's a tough way to start a conversation with God. Dress for action. Dress like a man. I will question you and make it known to you. And then starts the verse 4. From, from verse 4 of chapter 38, read it sometime, just read it. To all the way to the end of chapter 41 is this description of God administering the known universe and that which we don't know, 
doing secret things, all of it simultaneously, and us not having any idea how it happens. This is what he says to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed the limits for it and set the bars and the doors. And I said to the sea, thus far you may come and no farther. Here your proud waves must stop. What a great... Here's a man that's hurting and the, the healing is not to give an answer. The healing is to show God's unbelievable sovereignty. You get to chapter 42 and it gets, gets near the end of chapter 42. So there is Job and, and he goes from his lamenting and questioning statement of righteousness and his confession. And he says to God, I know that you can do all things. That no purpose of yours is thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's talking about himself. Therefore, I have, I have uttered what I did not understand. There are things that are too wonderful for me. There are things that I did not know. That's our problem. I did not know it. And then verse 5. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise and repent in dust and ashes. With repentance comes restoration. Chapter 42, it ends. There, here's the, the, the tale. Chapter 42 ends, verse 7 to 17. God has restored everything back to Job. God... In fact, God even forgives his friends because Job makes a sacrifice for them. That's important. There's the, there's the, there's the Christ. That's going to be the gospel hook. If I were preaching this, that's how I get to the gospel. I'll show you that in just a moment. Okay, so we've, we flew over Job pretty quickly. Let me go back and just pick up some random lessons together. I'll point out some things. We'll start Job 1 again in just a moment. Here's some random lessons that I have learned and I hope you will learn. <clears throat> there are three truths. Three truths. I got this from Jerry Bridges. He wrote several books like The Pursuit of Holiness and Trusting God. Great author. Three truths that must be held together. Here they are. Three of them. You, gotta, you can't just hold on to one. All three truths go together. The first one, God is completely sovereign. In absolute control. So that's the first truth. A lot of us, you want to hold on to that one and nothing else. Okay, get that one in your hand. Here's the second one. God is infinitely wise. Okay, completely sovereign, infinitely wise. Here's the third one. God is perfect in his love. He'll never do anything in his sovereign power through his wisdom that is not loving he is perfect. Job gives us that. It's all there in the book of Job. Three truths held together. 
I'll give you a second thing that we've learned. I mentioned it on the front end. I need to mention it on the back end because we are, as Christians, we, we hold this, this robust theological view of God, how He works in our lives in the day-to-day -day measure. There are a lot of people sitting in this room have, have walked through some very significant pain, some of you in it right now. And I told you earlier, God is sovereign over suffering. Well, that doesn't mean much if you don't play it out. God is sovereign over suffering, and I would put under that Romans 8, 28, and 9. Romans 8, 28, and 9. That God is working all things together for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. God is working all those things, all of them. Okay, this is the second thing. You know what I saw in Job chapter 1, verse 21? You know what I experienced Sunday? Look, at, look with me in chapter 1, verse 21. I'll start in verse 20. Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head. Slow down. Tore his robe, shaved his head, he fell on the ground. So all of those things are, are, are grief. Like you hear the grief stricken. What do you do with grief? He didn't stop there, did he? What's the whole verse say? Verse 20. He fell on the ground and did what? He worshiped. Grief and worship go together. They're together. God uses grief oftentimes to drive us to worship. It's a principle. You see it. A lot of you have felt it. You have, there have been times when you have been through something terrible, you come to church, you sing a song that it rattles you, or you hear something. Grief and worship go together. I'll come to the next chapter, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 10. Not, not only grief and worship, grief and acceptance go together. Grief and then accepting what has happened. Let me, show, let me show you what I mean. <clears throat> nine, I'll start in verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. Then his wife said to him, this is not an encouraging wife. She's not saying things are going to get better. Put your eyes on the Lord. She's like, you need to just forget all of this. I don't know where he found this woman, but here she is. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10. Look at the acceptance. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? Shall we not also receive the bad? But some, some, sometimes in a, in a smiling, happy providence, things go well. Sometimes in a frowning, difficult, stormy, hard providence, things are bad. And, and you can have grief in that and then accept that God is good in it. I'm going to give you a third thing to consider, or fourth thing, or a fifth thing. Is it five? Is it five? I, I'm looking at my own writing. You understand, right? And sometimes I can't tell my fives from my threes. If you've ever gotten a card from me, you can say amen to that. Amen. All right. God bless you. Here's number five. We don't know what's happening behind the scenes. We don't know. All we got is this. 
It's a Wednesday night, running outside, Labor Day's coming. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. What is God doing? What is Satan doing? I mean, chapter 1 of, of Job, verses 6 and following, when, this, when, when God calls this court of the angels and Satan is there, it's a bizarre chapter. We don't know the discourse. What's happening there? Or in, or in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, the same sort of thing. We don't know. Peter didn't know. Jesus said to him, Simon... There's something going on behind the scenes you can't see. Satan has demanded. He wants. You think you're, you think you're going to handle this? Let me tell you what's happening behind the scenes, Simon. Satan has demanded to have you, to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Here with Job, he didn't know about this. <laughs> he had no idea. Look, we don't know what's happening around us behind the scenes, what God may be doing, we don't know what forces of evil, what may be happening. We, don't, we need to think a little bit about Satan. This, this is a good time for us to look at this chapter because it's here in, in such detail. I'll give you, that'll be the sixth thing I've learned studying this. <clears throat> Satan is weaker and worse than we thought. Weaker and worse. When I say weaker, what I mean is he is no match for God. Don't get in your mind that you have two opposing forces, good and evil, that are in a struggle. That there's a, there's a, a, a dark force and a light force. That is, a, that is not Christianity. That is Buddhism or something else. Christianity is that there is a sovereign God and Satan is a created being that is no match. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Chapter 1, verse 6. <clears throat> Chapter 1, verse 6 tells us, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to, to present themselves, to give an account to God. And Satan came because Satan must give an account God. He's under the lordship of a sovereign God. I'll give you something else. Verse 7 tells us that Satan is not omnipresent. The Lord says to him, where have you been? He says, well, I've been roaming. I go here and I go there. He is not like God. God is everywhere all the time. God sees all, knows all, is in all, carries all, has created all. Everything is for him. We'll return back to him. That is not the same with Satan. He is not omniscient. That is to say, he doesn't know everything about you. There's a lot. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. Verse 7 tells us that he roams. Even the New Testament tells that, right? That, like a roaring lion, Roman. That, that Satan roams. Get to chapter 2, verse 3, and two times God has said to Satan, have you considered, have you looked? He is knowing that he has, I would just write it like this, that Satan is a people watcher. People watcher. Well, you do that when you go places. People watch him. Watch him because they do funny things. Satan doesn't watch to see funny things. He studies 
So Satan watches us to see what are our deficiencies, what are those things that tempt us, where are our weaknesses, what are we prone to, what are our practices, what are our routines, what gets us off balance, what sets us off. He learns. His assumption of Job was, he's got a great life, the reason he's worshiping is that there's a transactional. He worships you because you protect him. And, and you read the book of Job and you find out that is not what worship is about. This book is profoundly, speaks profoundly to the transactional nature of, of how people sometimes approach worship. I, I love God because He loves me and He's given me things. Brothers and sisters, that is nothing more than Santa Claus. I'll be good because He's going to give me good things if I'm good. And the book of Job takes and strips all of that away and says, no, that is not. We love God because He is God, regardless of, of what He does. And we learned these lessons about Satan, that he is a, he's a people watcher. He was, watching, he, was watching, he was watching Simon Peter. I mean, that's what Jesus told Simon Peter. Peter, uh, Satan has demanded. Let me give you another thing to consider. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12, and chapter 2, verse 6. Here is a great promise that Satan operates by permission. Do you follow me? He, he has to have permission. Let me show you where I get that. Chapter 1, verse 12. Satan has said to the Lord in verse 11, Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, All that he has is in your hand. I'll give that to you. That's what he's saying. Only... Do not stretch out your hand. So, so God sets the limits. Remember what he said about the sea in chapter 28? This far you may come and no further. Here your proud waves must stop. He does the same thing with Satan. This far you can come, no further. You see it again in chapter 2, verse 6. There is some comfort in that. There's some uh, confidence. There's some sort of to know that there's an end to suffering, to know that God will, will permit only so much, to know that the New Testament teaches that, that there is temptation, but, but along with the temptation will come the way out. There's not any that has overtaken man that, that's any different than other people have been through. Okay, those are lessons about Satan. Let's, let's stop talking about the devil for a little bit. Let's uh, learn some others. <clears throat> Here's a seventh one. Don't talk too much. Don't talk too much. When, is, when there's grief, don't talk too much. I, I, got a, I got a phone call from a... I don't really know famous people. I don't know that many famous people. I got a phone call from a pretty famous person when Nate died. Uh, I was surprised. At the point, I was getting calls and... And uh, a lot of the numbers I didn't know, and I picked it up, and he identified himself. And at first I was like, I can't believe this guy called me. And 25 minutes into the conversation, I was thinking, I wish I was off the phone with this guy. This is terrible. I want you to, I want you to look at the good and then the bad. Join me there in verse, chapter 2, verse uh, 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. 
Here's something good. Look what, look what the friends started out good, didn't they? Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Namathite, and they made an appointment together to come and to show him sympathy. I mean, this is good. I'm going to comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they didn't recognize him. They raised their voices. They wept. They tore their robes. They sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. Nobody spoke a word. They saw his suffering was great. I mean, here's the ministry, right? You, you, some of you know that. You've even, here's what you've articulated. We do this. I don't know. There's not anything I can say. I don't have the words to say. I'm not sure what to say. What you're doing is perfect. I mean, what they're doing right there, it's exactly. And then, unfortunately, chapter 4, from chapter 4 to chapter 37, is all the wrong things. All the wrong things. They just, for 33 chapters, told him, there must have, you must have done something wrong. And they're the worst friends. Chapter 2, they're the best friends. Chapter 4 to chapter 37, the worst friends. Let me give an eight. We, we, I mentioned this early, earlier. Here's the hope of the gospel. That is that God will eventually, God will eventually vindicate the righteous. It, it's easy to think, how long is this going to happen to me? Why is it ever going to get better? <clears throat> and the promise is yes. The hope of the gospel is yes. The promise of Christ is yes. The promise of, of going to heaven when we die is, yes, the promise of the new heavens and the new earth and living eternally with joy, God eventually vindicates the righteous. That's the story of Job in chapter 42, verses 10 through 17. You see the vindication. You see God restoring and blessing. I'll give you a ninth lesson. <clears throat> Job teaches us that in suffering, number nine, God does not, he does not reveal his purpose. We just don't know. We just, there's just not, our minds are, are finite. We cannot put it together. It doesn't make sense. The, it's a dead end road. We're going to try to logically think it out. The, when you read the Bible, you find out that God keeps his cards close to his chest, you see. He just doesn't reveal. He reveals a lot of things. He tells us how to live. He gives us, he gives us the gospel. He has shown his love. He has given us all kinds of wonderful things that he has revealed to us. There is general revelation. We know God with the blueness of the sky, the rain that falls. We, we see common grace that God gives. I mean, I'm looking through a pair of glasses that didn't have to be a Christian to be a man to make glasses work. Common grace. I'm glad that God gave us doctors. They know how to, that, that's God's gift. He gives us all kinds of things, but He doesn't always reveal why you hurt. Doesn't tell us. I'll give you a tenth one. <clears throat> if you have never read it, I would go back and do it. I did it today myself. 
from chapter 38 to chapter 41 is a, a marvelous display. There's no, there are no chapters like this in the Bible. They're the most spectacular chapters of God displaying his administration of this world in a way that we can never understand it. That, that his ways are beyond our ways. And I would just say it like this. Chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41 teach us that we know so little about God. I mean, we know what the Bible has told us. We know what creation has told us. And we're glad, he had, glad God has given us enough to know to be saved and to know him. But we know so little about his administration of the world and all the things that he is doing simultaneously even now. Okay, that's a flying over, flying over the book of Job, just like what we're doing with all these books. Fly over and you get a picture. So chapters 1 and 2, the prologue. Chapter 42 is the epilogue. Chapter 4 to 37 is monologue, dialogue. Chapter 38 starts the display of God. Now let's find the gospel in it. If I were preaching this and I wanted to put a gospel hook Instead of preaching a sermon, get to the end and just share the gospel. Where do I find the gospel in Job? Let me give it to you typologically. Typologically. That Job is a type of Christ. Let's see if I can explain it. <clears throat> Job was a righteous man. There was a righteous man named Job. This man, by God's set purpose, was handed over to Satan and he was afflicted on purpose, suffered like Christ. This man, in his suffering, was mocked and mistreated in his suffering. This man prayed for his enemies. He prayed for all of those who persecuted him. This man, after a, you get to the end of the book, after a costly substitutionary blood sacrifice, Job had to make a sacrifice for his friends, after a costly substitutionary blood sacrifice, his friends were forgiven. This man became a priestly mediator between God and and sinners. This man was, public, was publicly vindicated by God. And in the end of Job, in the end, this man's end was exalted and he received honor and glory and power and wealth that was even greater than what he had at first. Job then points us to Christ. And what Christ has done. If you needed a, a compact version, let's say you wanted to have it directly, you could go to chapter 42 and I'll give it to you like you, like you have a tract. If you wanted to pass out a tract that had the gospel in a short form, like I do sometimes on Sunday mornings with God, man, Christ response. God is holy. Man is a sinner separated from God. Jesus Christ came and lived perfectly, died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. And the response is you turn from your sin and believe. So that's the gospel in God, man, Christ response. What is it in Job? Let me show it to you. 
chapter 42, verse 7 and 8. And I'm going to close with this. I'll be done. I, I don't even know where I found this. But I thought, man, this is really good. I'll give it to you. It'll be for free since you came to the first night of Foundations for the new semester. Chapter 42, verses 7 and 8. Let me just read it and go back. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job, offer up, there's the blood sacrifice, offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you. There is the intermediary. Shall pray for you. I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Three points. Three. Here's the first one of the gospel. This passage tells us man has sinned against God. Job's friends, they thought they were in the right, but they were very much in the wrong. Man has sinned against God. Number two. God is rightfully angry at sin. That's what this text says. God is mad, angry with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Elihu somehow got off. It, he is angry because sin is an assault on his glory. The third point of the gospel, what we rejoice in, is that God is merciful. God is merciful. God, in verse 8, God deals with Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. God deals with sinners, not according to their folly and their sin. It is through a blood sacrifice and, and this innocent man's mediation for their sins. That is why God forgives them. There's the gospel. The gospel in the book of Job. The gospel that reminds us our God is good. He is sovereign, he is wise, and he loves us in Christ. I hope that you'll take a moment, maybe an hour or two, go back and read the book of Job. Think through, especially the first two chapters and the last four chapters, and see God work through your suffering. Let me pray, and we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Father, thank you for all the things that you do that we know about and don't know about. We thank you that you control all things. You are bringing them to a conclusion for your own glory. All we ask, Lord, is that you help us. That you give us strength, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. That you give us peace of mind. That you give us endurance. And as you give us suffering, Lord, help us to experience that in a manner that is honoring to the name of Jesus, that brings glory to you, that fulfills the purpose that you have given us. Lord, thank you for the men and women in this room who live for Jesus. Strengthen their hearts that they might flourish in the gospel with joy. Lord, bring us back here Sunday ready to worship as a congregation to lift up the name of Christ, to be empowered by the Spirit, to offer our prayers to the Father. We ask you to go with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.